Verse 16, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Okay? What tense is hast reigned? What tense is that? Past tense, right? Okay, so he's saying, you have taken your great power and you have reigned. Okay? The kingdoms here are not belonging to the Lord. They're under the God of this world. And the kingdoms, the Gentiles, have tread on Jerusalem during the times of the Gentiles that we've studied from our study in Daniel. They become the kingdoms of our Lord. And then He reigns for a thousand years. And so this next statement that we're reading in verse 17, this is the four and twenty elders, the twenty-four elders, and they are saying something now that is occurring after the millennial reign. He has reigned. Now, the timing of what we are reading there and what uh, those 24 elders are saying is post-millennial. Okay? Here's where Jesus Christ gets the kingdoms because He comes back, second advent, and He conquers Israel's enemies. He, he establishes His throne and His kingdom. He reigns for a thousand years. Then the 24 elders say, You have reigned. Okay, when they say that, look what happens. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name. Okay? What you have here is you have some angry nations. Okay? They're angry because his wrath came. When does his wrath come? His wrath comes at the second advent. His second advent, it's the fierceness of his wrath. He he's, he's, he says it's like it's like one of them uh, ladies getting into the vine, the wine press, and stamping on the grapes. We saw some of these ancient wine presses in uh, the village of Nazareth, and they go all the way back, just, just ancient. They go all the way back to, uh, well, I, I don't remember exactly how far, but it would have gone back to the time of uh, Christ when he was in Nazareth. And they're just cut out of stone in a hillside, and, and uh, it's just made to be like a circular uh, place, and, and it's flattened. And then there's a groove in the middle, and and as the as the the wine uh, is as the as the grapes are pressed, and then the pure blood of the grape comes out of the grapes, it goes down this little indentation, and then it goes down into a lower spot, which was dug out in the rock to uh, hold that fresh grape juice that came out of those grapes. And so the workers in the vineyard are stamping on those grapes and the blood of the grapes is coming out and then they can collect it down there and do what they need to do with it. They were showing us this. They were showing us 
how they did this back in the day, how they made this wine. And they had the trellises of, of the grapevines up around us. And it was really an interesting talk there. But that's what the Lord is saying. He's saying, I'm going to get them all together into my wine press and I'm going to stamp on them. And it's a bloody uh, ordeal. And that is the Valley of Jezreel. That's the second coming of our Lord when he conquers the enemies of God and the enemies because they're all coming against Israel at the second advent. That's what we call Armageddon. And he says this is the fierceness of his wrath. The time of his wrath is at the ending of the tribulation. Okay? So the nations were angry with him. And at the end of the whole millennium, we studied how uh, Satan is loosed and he turns some people against the Lord. Evidently, they're still angry there at the end of the millennium. So we have some nations that are, that are angry and we have his wrath spoken of there. And now he says there's the time of the dead. The time of the dead comes after his reign because at the end of verse 17, the 24 elders said, you have reigned, past tense. That's already happened. You have reigned. So now the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Just like we read in Revelation 20, the dead being judged, the books being opened. And that thou shouldest give reward. You see that? At the great white throne judgment, there will be people rewarded. There are saved people here in the sense of being an Old Testament saint, tribulation saint, or millennium saint. Not the church. We are totally different. Not, there won't, we'll be there, but we won't be rewarded. We're rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. But there are people here that get rewards that are called His servants, the prophets, and then saints. So you have servants, you have prophets, and then you have a general group, saints. And them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. The unsaved, the wicked dead, are destroyed. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament. And he goes on to something else that he's talking about. Which, that's interesting, by the way. This is just a side note. You want to know where the ark is right now? It's in heaven. It's in the third heaven. It says right there, Seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So the Bible says the ark is in heaven. God took it up there. So what you have at this fifth judgment is you have the subjects, and it's not just the unsaved dead. So people will stand before God, and the books will be opened. Now uh, go back to Revelation 20. Uh, 21 and verse 8. The people who lived during this time, the time that we live, they go to hell for one reason and one reason alone. They go to hell because of failure to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So let's be real clear about what we're talking about. But when they get to this great white throne judgment, is that the only thing that they're judged for? No. They, that's, that's the reason why they show up at the great white throne judgment and they didn't get taken in the rapture and they weren't at the judgment seat of Christ. But they're judged for their sins. So Revelation 21 verse 8, But the fearful, those are the people that are 
afraid of getting saved, afraid of what it might do and how it might change their lives, what people will think of them. The unbelieving, that's the big one. That's the clincher. That's always been the problem. A problem of unbelief. The abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and all those terrible things. And then all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. At that great white throne judgment, people will be judged uh, from this age because they rejected Jesus Christ and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. But when they get there, they're not just judged for their unbelief. They're judged for all of their sins and there's a greater degree of hell and punishment for greater sinners. Um, And then, as well as that, because if you look back in Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When I first heard this taught, it was taught from a Schofield uh, perspective and, and Clarence Larkin. And I always wondered in verse 15, because if the great white throne judgment is only for the unsaved dead, then why does God, we suppose that he has angels helping, but it's probably going to be us looking to see if their names are found written. And, and uh, somebody, whoever's helping the Lord at this judgment, probably us, will say, Lord, his name's not written there. Lord, her name's not written there. You know, and he knows it, but he wants them to hear that, you know, evidently. And I always thought that doesn't make sense. Why would we go through this whole thing with uh, all these people that we know are going to go into the lake of fire and go through this whole thing? Nope, name's not there, the name's not there. It just says, whosoever's name was not found written. So to me, I just said, that implies that there will be people who have their names written there. Amen. And they will. The names who are written there are tribulation saints, millennial saints, and Old Testament saints. One more thing to kind of add to that. The people who are lost and unsaved, God will convince them that they are guilty. Because have you ever tried to talk to a proud, self-righteous, religious lost person and just hear them tell you all about how just such a nice, sweet person that they are and how they deserve to go to heaven? They're going to do the same thing, I think. They're going to, they're going to think to themselves, I don't deserve this. And God is going to prove to them that they are guilty before a holy God. And so that's partially what this is all about. God's going to prove to them that they deserve a certain uh, judgment and, and then deal it out to them, and then they'll be, they'll be dealt with, and we'll be helping him to judge. So that's number one, the subjects. Number two, all sin will be revealed, Matthew chapter 10. And again, if you don't want to turn to them, don't feel bad, I'll, I'll read them. But Matthew chapter 10, I figure by this time, if you're... If you like to come to Bible study with us, you probably like the way that we do it. So uh, I just like to be able to see it myself. I don't know about you, but I've spent hours and hours and hours sitting in church under Bible teaching and just loving it. Just loving it. It, And somebody said uh, it gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter the longer that you serve Him. Wasn't it in that song we were singing, the Gaither song? And it gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And I heard a preacher that was talking about that, and I don't remember where it was. And that is true. That's the way it goes. Amen. It gets better and better and better. And, um, and I'm so thankful <laughs> that I'm not serving a loser. I'm not serving the devil tonight. And I'm serving the Lord and that He gave us His Word. Chapter 10 and verse uh, 26, I believe it is. So it says here, Fear, not, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid 
that shall not be known. So this is Jesus saying that all sin will be revealed there. Nothing can be hid. It will all be brought out into the open. All that stuff that a man thought he was getting away with and fooling his wife about and running around doing a bunch of uh, stuff uh, and you know, tricking everybody else, tricking the preacher, his wife, his kids. No, and it all comes out. It will all be revealed. Then also in verse, uh, let's see, it looks like 37. Um, no, it's chapter 12, verse 36. Chapter 12, verse 36. <clears throat> We've been talking about how Google tracks everything that you say, and I didn't do it tonight. I normally do, but I normally put my phone on airplane mode whenever we're having the men's Bible study. I started doing that. Or when I'm at home, just talking at home with the wife and the kids, I'll put my phone on airplane if I think we're talking about something that's sensitive because they're listening. And I know that. Uh, I've given examples, and so I won't elaborate here. But they're listening. And in a way, that's kind of scary. And they give, we, we give them a whole lot of information about ourselves anyways on Facebook. We tell Facebook everything about ourselves. They know what we like for breakfast. They know where we like to go. Did you ever go somewhere and then you get a, you get a message about, you get a message like on your, either on your map program or on Facebook, how'd you like the restaurant? Would you like to review it? I've gotten messages when my, because my mom is connected to Facebook with Beth and I also have Facebook on my phone with her account and the church's account. And when my mom will go to an Amish restaurant, it'll send us a message for some reason that my mom went to that restaurant. Just strange. But they know a lot of stuff about us. And I got a letter today about my uh, privacy uh, with, with all the information that the VA has. And they were telling me, you know, you need to read this, and this is what we can do with your private information, your medical information. And we, we live in a day of information. People have information on us. Amen. If you, get a, if you get a ticket, if you get pulled over, if you hit somebody, they're going to check to see if you were texting when you were driving. They got that information on you. But that's nothing compared to the information that God has on us, right? And uh, anybody who goes and stands before God, he's going to go right through their life, everything. So in verse 36, um, would I say unto you that every idle word, man, every word, that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. God's even interested in the words. So that was number two. All sin will be revealed. All sin will be revealed. Number three, the Christian saints will minister to Christ. We've been here, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, repetition is the mother of learning, 1 Corinthians 6. All saints, Christian saints, will minister to Christ at this judgment. All Christian saints will minister and take an active part in the judgment, judging the world, judging angels. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, we'll read there in just a moment. Excuse me. And along with this also is uh, Daniel, but I'll read that to you. We won't go there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, says, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? 
Now, verse 2, let's just do a, just a short example of how we study the Bible. Because as you're reading this stuff, you're thinking to yourself. If you're, you know, if you are uh, with us and, and, you, and you're saying, is what he's saying is right? And if that's the way you're thinking, that's, that's good. Um, I want um, to check this with the Bible and make sure he's right. You should do that. Don't ever just sit there and just take stuff passively. Uh, but if you're sitting there thinking, you're thinking, he just said saints. He talked about saints from these three different uh, you know, dispensations. And that's good. If you're thinking that, that's good. And you have to be discriminating when you, when you study the Bible. Because you always have to look at context. Who is speaking? To whom is he speaking? Where were they? And then as you read a verse in the Bible, what comes before it? What comes after it? Where is this found in the entirety of God's revelation? So let's just start with that. 1 Corinthians 6, because again, I don't want you guys to think that I'm coming in here trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Okay? Um, I have enough confidence in this that if you were to really go home and be a Berean and study it, you'll come to the same conclusion. So 1 Corinthians 6, where is, uh, who's speaking? Who's speaking? Who's the one that's writing? 1 Corinthians 6. Paul. Okay. We know that Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He said, I magnify my office. He's our apostle. Okay. Paul is speaking. To whom is he speaking? This is an interesting thing to think about. Um, it seems obvious, but I'll tell you a reason why it's, uh, there's a little bit more to it than what you might think. It seems obvious, but who's he speaking to? He, he addressed the letter to somebody. The, the Corinthians, right? The, the believers in Corinth. Um, he, he always talked about the saints. So he would talk about uh, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, chapter 1, verse 2. And he called them saints, the people in Corinth, which is kind of funny. But um, the letters in the Bible are not addressed to the Pope. They're not addressed to some bishop. You know, they're not addressed to other apostles. They're addressed to the churches, the people. You know who received New Testament truth and who was responsible to keep New Testament truth? The saints, the people, us today. The church is the pillar and ground of the what? Of the truth, right? This book you would have some people tell you that this book is too hard for you to understand and you better just leave it to the professionals. Leave it to the clergy. You lay it to you have no business reading this. You can't understand it anyhow. Don't study it. No. Paul wrote this to the church of God, the saints, which are at Corinth. So that's who he's writing it to. All right. In God's revelation, does this stuff back here apply to you doctrinally? It's Jews, isn't it? Are you, do you have to go up to the temple three times a year? Do you have to sacrifice animals? No? Okay, so this stuff doctrinally is applied to Old Testament saints, right? So we're in the New Testament. We're in the church age. And so Paul is talking about a different group of saints. Is that clear enough? Is that plain enough? When Paul goes to this new city, the first place he goes is to Mm-hmm. And he goes, goes to the synagogues. Yep. But he does what they ever had in covenant, like 
Yeah. Yes. And so when we're reading about Paul talking to the saints, he's talking to the saints in the New Testament. New Testament church, okay? And we are different, okay? So we're going to minister with Christ and take an active part. You say, how do you know that? Well, it says it right there in plain English. The saints shall judge the world. That's us in the church. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we, so that's clear enough, Paul's saying we, me and all you at Corinth that are saved and in the church, we shall judge angels. Okay, number four, the white throne judgment takes place after this earth is destroyed. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Takes place after, I know we've talked about this, but let's look at it again. Second Peter chapter 3. They were worldly, but he called them saints. So that tells you something. Why am I a saint, Brother Clifford? You say, because you're just such a wonderful, sweet guy, right? Sacrificing your life for the Lord. No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And God made me a saint. He set me apart for himself. I'm set apart for him. Why? Yes. Yes. Randy is a very nice guy. But I bet if we just all ganged up on him and really pushed him tonight, we could cause him to lose his sanctification. I bet we could. He, yeah, we, he'd get him so mad. He, I'm never coming back to this church again. But, and, but he's one of the nicest guys i ever met in my life. But Randy's not a saint because he's so holy in and of himself, his personal righteousness. He's a saint because what Christ has done for him. Yes. And saved and sealed. And you're serving and serving the Lord. It's a good three-point outline. Yeah, so we've looked at so far, number one, the subject of the great white throne. Number two, that sin will be revealed there, all sin. Number three, that Christian saints will minister to Christ and take an active part in the judgment. Now, number four, the great white throne judgment takes place after this earth is destroyed. So, Second Peter 3. And if, in case you're wondering... People who don't believe like us, such as all-millennial, uh, uh, those who believe in an all-millennial eschatology, they, they still believe in the, the, the earth being destroyed. So everybody, everybody believes what we're looking at here, um, even if they don't go with us on our dispensationalism, okay? So Second Peter chapter 3, I, I like to point that stuff out to you because I just don't want you to think that I'm trying to uh, manipulate anybody. Okay, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says here, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's talking about a destruction on a molecular level. That is the complete destruction of this present world. Burned up, done away with, It says that the heavens and the earth will be done away with. And then at the end of the book of Revelation, you read about a new heavens and a new earth. So, yes. So it's all done away with. So after everything is destroyed, um, 
how exactly, maybe at the same time, God resurrects all the dead to the great white throne judgment. Everything is burned up, gone. And we're standing before God, we're helping Him, and then the unsaved and... Yes. Yep. And then he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Yes. Yes. So just to read a quote back from the 20th chapter of Revelation, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Who? The people who are being judged. There's found no place. They're just standing before God, and there's just evidently nothing underneath him. So, and he's holding him up by the word of his power. All right, now fifthly and lastly, imagine those who are living at this time when the, when the earth explodes and their, their soul bodies uh, suddenly are uh, they're suspended before God. They have some kind of a... Their, their remains have been resurrected, They've been put together in some kind of a body and they're standing before God and there's nothing to hold them up. And below them, evidently, is the lake of fire and it's only God holding them there. And in that condition, in that condition, they have to face the final judgment. So I kind of got ahead of myself, but that was the fifth point. That's the condition. Terrifying. Terrifying. Somebody says, I can't believe in a God who says you have to fear the Lord. You'd better fear the Lord. And I'm not going to try to soft soak the Bible. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Man, you better be afraid of somebody who knows your thoughts and your words. And best thing to do, this is what I say. And uh, this isn't, you know, I learned this and I'm passing this on. But guess what? You get in right there, and you know what you find there? God's love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, your sins canceled out, removed. You get in there. If you end up here, somebody says God's a God of love. God's a God who will send somebody to a lake of fire for eternity. That's who you're dealing with. And so, get in right there. How sad would it be to watch our unsaved relatives? Now, there comes a time when there's only so much we can do. We're just responsible to plant the seed. But uh, to stand before that, that great assembly and to see our loved ones standing there, and they're lost, man, and they're about ready to be judged. It's, it's going to be terrifying. I don't think tears in heaven will be wiped away until after the great white throne judgment. So the basis now, uh, we'll, we'll finish it here, I'm done. The basis, we see that Old Testament saints are rewarded and uh, tribulation saints and millennial saints are rewarded. The basis for the unsaved dead is, is based on unbelief, yes, but they're also judged for their sins, as we saw. They're judged for their sins. And the results, the results is that God is glorified, that there is a people saved out of every dispensation, there's a people saved. Let me give you this real quick. Because this right here, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like layers of an onion. You learn a little bit, and then like you peel back another layer, and you're learning a little bit more, you know. And uh, 
with the Old Testament saints, in the Old Testament it says that their sins were remitted or were in remission. And we say remission is forgiveness so that we can simplify it and teach it. But it's not entirely accurate. What is it when cancer is in remission? It, it's not gone, right? We've just fought it back. Think of it like that. Back here in the Old Testament, sin could be in remission. Why? Well, because of the blood of bulls and goats. But the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. So when John the Baptist shows up, he says, to Jesus, says of Jesus, he's the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh away. Yeah, so he could take away sins. So the Old Testament saints who die in faith, they went down here to, to Sheol, right? And they're in Abraham's bosom. Why are they there? Why couldn't they go up to the third heaven? Because their sins were only remitted. They were not taken away. Then up shows the Redeemer, the Lamb of God, and what He does on the cross, it takes care of sins in the Old Testament for those that ended up in Abraham's bosom. So their sins then are canceled out, and then Jesus led them to heaven after His uh, resurrection. He led them to heaven. Now this is just a place of the damned down here. In the uh, New Testament, when we get saved, what happens to us? Our sins are taken away, canceled, gone. And, um, and then in the tribulation period, millennial, He's able to forgive people and allow them to go to heaven as saints because of what He did here. And there will be temple worship and there will be sacrifices and all of them will look back to this. That's how it works in the area of redemption and forgiveness um, for, for the Old Testament and New Testament. So I think that's all that probably we should say about that right now. I uh, want to go ahead and stop since we're just a little bit before the hour. Is there any questions? Yes, yeah. I like that. I like that. Simple enough to understand. Oh, it's like student loan debt. Exactly. It's still there. It's just covered up right now. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so if a person sinned in the Old Testament, say daddy messed up and sinned, well, he's got to go to the temple, to the priest, and with a sacrifice. And, uh, yes. But for us, we don't have to go to no temple, no priest. Our, our high priest is Jesus, and we just go right to Him. Yes, atonement, the atonement. Any other questions about that? If you have any questions, even if they're whoppers, don't, don't be like, I don't want to ask Him anything and, and embarrass Him because He won't know the answer to it. If, if that happens, I'll just say, I don't know, but I'm going to go home and study, and I'll come back. Yeah, no dumb questions either. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father... Lord, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for this. And, and Lord, we are trying our best to be, uh, um, to be students of the word of God. We, we sit at the feet of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us understanding in these things. And Lord, um, I do know this. I do know that uh, Christ is my Savior, that my sins were taken care of at Calvary, and that, Lord, I have a job to do. And my job is to try to tell people about Jesus and about what He's done for us. And uh, Lord, I pray that You'd help us to do that. Keep the main thing, the main thing in all of this. And Lord, uh, 
one of these days we're going to be standing at the great white throne judgment. We're going to be helping you in some way or another. And uh, we're going to be looking across the way at people that we know. And uh, Lord, um, I pray that, I pray you'd just help us just to be busy doing what we can. They might not understand all this, but what they can understand is the gospel. They need to understand their sin. They need to understand that there's a Savior. They need to understand that heaven is not just for everyone. It's for those who trust in Christ. And I pray that you help us to do that. That's the message we have for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.